Would, would Jacob have, in Genesis 34, married off Dinah to an unbeliever? What were his options? What were his alternatives? Well, I think he had two main alternatives, Jacob did. One, according to Exodus 22, 16 and 17, and Deuteronomy 22, 28 and 29, the 50 shekels of silver would have been received by Jacob um, and not married Dina off, or receive that and whatever bridal payment and gifts and marry her off to him. He could have done, re- either just received it or married her off to him, Dina to Shechem. But if he's going to marry her off to Shechem, Shechem needs to be a believer. Did Jacob understand that Shechem wanted to be a believer? The answer is yes. Because he was not aware of his son's deceit. His son said it in deceit, but he didn't know that they were going to do it because he is appalled, he's shocked in verses 30 in verse 30 about what they did, because if he knew it, he likely would have prevented it. Because he did not want his own life and his whole clan jeopardized by the threat of the surrounding tribes attacking him and killing him for the massacre in Shechem. So Jacob believed, I I think, because of the negotiations in verses um, verses 8 to 17, in verses 8 to 17, he believed that they were converting. Therefore, it would have been better for his daughter to be married off to them like that since she had been defiled rather than her living a secluded, shameful life being a widow or unmarried for the rest of her life in his household and then one of his son's household. Generally speaking, women want to be married. They want to be able to provide and have their own family. They want that. So society generally across the world, different cultures, they would rather have their daughters married than unmarried and barren and rejected and things like that. That's generally the case. So the preferred option for Jacob would have been for Shechem to convert, which he was willing to do, and then marry her to him. That probably was what he was anticipating But then that was disrupted because Simeon and Levi massacred Shechem and the rest of the men. And so that option wasn't there. Therefore, he had to resort to keeping her in his household. Now, one other thing we have to consider. In 34.17, when they are negotiating, 34.17, but if you will not listen to us to be circumcised, then... We will take our daughter and go. When they say we will take our daughter, they meaning Jacob and his sons, take our daughter and go. Does this mean that the daughter was there on their side of the negotiations? So Hamor on one side and Jacob on the other side, Hamor and Shechem and perhaps others on that side, and then Jacob and his sons on this side with Dina on this side? Or does it mean that Dina was already in Shechem's house 
when they say, take our daughter and go. Because this will have an implication on where Dina's interests were in the matter already. Look at 3426. Remember, they have already negotiated and everybody's in agreement. Verse 26. And they killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword and took Dina from Shechem's house and went forth. That means that when they said in 17, either she was right there on Jacob's side or she was there on Hamor and Shechem's side, likely on Hamor and Shechem's side, because by verse 26, before the marriage takes place, she was already in Shechem's house. Which interpreters take two ways. Was she forced and kidnapped to be in Shechem's house? Or was she there willingly? It seems to me that if we read 34.2 with some of her own complicity in the matter, 34.1 and 2, her own complicity in the matter, in that she wasn't completely innocent of going out and about and mingling with the daughters of the land and subjecting herself to this kind of possibility in a time when they were probably being married at a festival that things like this do happen when people are celebrating, getting drunk, and whatever other things are happening when people are having a big party, right? So she is, in a sense, guilty and complicit in doing that much. But was she also willing? Remember I said that to be humbled in verse 2, just like Deuteronomy 21.14 and 22.24 does not always mean that the woman was unwilling. Does not always. It usually does in a sexual context, usually does, but not always, with those two exceptions in the sexual context of Deuteronomy 21.14 and 22.24. By the way, also, this word is, in other contexts, used to mean afflict, and also to humble oneself. To afflict or to oppress in a negative sense, but also to humble oneself in a good sense, such as humbling oneself on the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16 and Leviticus 23. Humbling oneself there with the same verb has to do with fasting on the Day of Atonement. So that's a positive context of humbling oneself. Or Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 and 3, God says he intentionally humbled the sons of Israel in the wilderness to teach them that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. That's another context in which this verb is used to be a positive sense of humbling. Now, if we take a, a less negative view of the word humble in verse 2, it does fit with the apparent willingness of Dina to be in Shechem's house until matters were settled because of what we saw in verses 17 and 26, that she was in Shechem's house when the massacre occurred, yet before 
they were married. Furthermore, we highlighted from our exposition of chapter 34 how much Shechem was delighting in and being tender towards Dina. He really loved her and wanted to marry her. So he was treating her kindly, and she would have wanted to be treated kindly. So she likely was in the house willingly. And if she was in there willingly, probably Jacob was thinking, this wrong has occurred, but she's willing, he's willing, he's willing to convert. I'm making the best of the circumstances that have been presented to me. And he's thinking that this is the way it's going to be. He doesn't know about Simeon and Levi's plot. Perhaps they even kept it from him. Likely they kept it from him. Otherwise, he would have objected to their idea. He does object once he finds out what they did in verse 30. You see my point there? Those were his options. That was, I think, what was happening in Jacob's mind. I don't like generally to do this. I know that the patriarchs and other saints of the whole Bible, they weren't perfect men, not at all, because they all needed to be redeemed um, in Christ, believing in Christ. And in most cases, those who are presented have at least one sin during their sainthood, during their lifespan of being believers, at least one sin that is brought to the surface, we're made aware of it. There are a couple of exceptions, like Daniel the prophet. I don't know of a single sin in the book of Daniel that is mentioned of Daniel. Though we know he had to be redeemed, and though we know everyone sins until he dies, but no specific sin of Daniel is mentioned. The same with Isaiah the prophet, or Ezekiel the prophet. Certain ones, nothing like that is mentioned. In the case of Moses, his sin was mentioned, his sin of being angry, Numbers chapter 20, and then he paid for that. So there are some exceptions like that. Um, the majority, I would say, of those presented. In this case, however, I don't see how justified it is, justifiable it is, to paint Jacob as a miserable father and a man who is a bumbling fool, doesn't know what to do, and has lost control of his household. I don't see Jacob that way, although some commentators see Jacob that way, especially in this chapter. 